You know, we, uh, we talk about living hopeful and being helpful, and, that, and that's not just something we say. It's something that we do. It's something that, that we are a part of. It's our vision to live hopeful and be helpful, to reach our city, and to touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and the reason why we're, we're mindful to do that, the reason why we want to do that is because we have hope. This morning, we are going to end our year-long journey in discovering what hope is. And I don't know what this journey has done for you, but it's done a lot for me. As we have each Sunday opened up the Word and gone to 1 John, I have been surprised and elated with what I heard from God. At the beginning of this year, I had no idea the opportunities and the challenges that would be in front of me, but God knew them. God knew every one. And, and it was through so much of what these text these verses have said it's been so much through what we have heard about what hope is that that God has sustained me personally and in so many ways and so in a lot of ways I hate to end it but all good things must come to an end we are next week going to begin Advent, and so I want to encourage you to be here. We're going to begin walking through uh, the Song of Mary, the Magnificent, found in Luke chapter 1, 46 through 56. So go ahead and begin to read that this week in anticipation for the season of Advent. And then next year, our series and our focus is going to be What's Next? going to do something I've never done. We're going to do a study in eschatology and understanding what it is we are to be doing with our lives now in light of the coming of Jesus Christ and what that means for our world and what it means for our lives. And so I, I'm excited about what is ahead of us, but I'm looking forward to ending uh, this series today. We're going to, we're going to talk about how it is hope is victorious over temptation. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 16 through 21, and Brooklyn Cannon is going to read for us. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew right in front of you. Just grab it and go ahead and stand up with us and go to the New Testament. Go to the, the, the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. We're in 1st John. We're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to look at the last five verses here, beginning in verse 16. Brooklyn, if you would read those for us. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son does not come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. This is the word of God. Thank you, Brooklyn. Well done. Go ahead and, and have a seat. God loves us, and God cares for every single one of us. The moment we come to the conclusion that God is God, and that as God, he is all-knowing and all-powerful, but as God, that he loves us. Once we come to the conclusion that God is God, that he is all-powerful and all-knowing, and that he loves us, is the day we will stop having worry, is the day we will stop having frustration and apathy. It's, it's, it's when we will stop living in conflict and seek 
resolution and restoration. See, when we know that God is God and he wants the best for us, we can know that we can have hope in every single circumstance in life. God gives us hope in every circumstance in life. He gives us his blessing. And I I know that that's sometimes hard to believe. It's hard for me sometimes to believe when I hear about what happened in Scottsville, when I hear about what's happening in Paris, when we see what's happening in our nation. Some of you today, you sit and say, wait a second, this thing that's going on in my life, how could God bring a blessing in this? And I get it. I get those questions. I ask those same questions. And I can imagine that the day after Jesus died, the disciples were asking those questions. How can a blessing come from this? How can the anointed one of God, who healed the broken, who gave sight to the blind, who, who gave hearing to the, to the deaf, how can the one who took a handful of fishes and loaves, who fed thousands, how can his death lead to a blessing? But I tell you, it did. It did. In every circumstance that we face, we who are his children, there is a blessing in it. And to see that blessing and to discover that blessing, to enjoy that blessing, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We must not lose sight of him. We must not get our minds and our hearts focused on good things or bad things. We've got to keep our eyes set on Jesus and follow him. The Christian life is a lot like driving. Listen, if you're going to drive well, you've got to keep the main thing, the main thing, right? You got to keep your hands on the wheel and you got to keep your eyes on the road. There can be other good things going on in the car. There can be conversations that you can have with other people. That's a good thing. You can listen to music. Hey, you can even sing. Even if you can't sing, if it's your car, you can sing. Because you can turn it up, So, right? That's not bad. You can dance. I mean, not crazy, but you know, you can do a shoulder bob with the hands on the wheels, right? Get that head going, right? If it moves you, all good things. But what you can't do is you can't take your hands off the wheel and your eyes off the road. There's bad things that you can do. Things that would make you take your hands off the wheel and take your eyes off the road. But if you want to be blessed, if you want things to go well, then you've got to keep your eyes on the road. If you don't, you're going to crash. The Christian life is the same way. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. And as we keep our hands and our eyes on Jesus, serving his purpose, focused on his will, not on good things, not on bad things, we will discover and we will find and we will enjoy God's blessing. But we can't allow good things or bad things to throw us off. We will be tempted to do that. Every single day of our life, we are going to be tempted to replace God with a bad thing or a good thing. To take our eyes off of Jesus and to put our eyes and our focus and our passion and and our purpose around a good thing or a bad thing. We will be tempted to do that. And temptation is a part of our life. But listen, hope is victorious over temptation. Now, it's something important that I I want to, to make clear in your minds before we go forward. There's something I want you to remember. So write this down. Remember, God never tempts us. 
God never tempts us, but he often tests us to bless us. God does not tempt us. James chapter 1, beginning of verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God does not tempt us to sin. God does not entice us to sin. God calls us to holiness. God entices us to desire him. God draws us to himself. He never leads us to sin. That is what the flesh does. That is what the world does. That is what the devil does. That is not what God does. But God does test us. And the reason he does is because he loves us. And he wants the very best for us. God wants us to have the best. You know what the best thing we can have? Is a faith that is real and true and strong. And you know how your faith is real and true and strong? It's because it's been tested. A tested faith is a real faith. It is a true faith. It is a strong faith. So God does test us. We read about this in Genesis chapter 22. It said, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. And if you know this chapter, you know what, what God did in this test. He tested to see if Abraham loved God more than his own son. And he tested him by having him place his son on an altar to be killed. Of course, God was gracious. Of course, of course, God did not cause. But what God did was, and what he's doing with some of us in this room today, is he is causing us to take that which we love the most. And he's calling us to put it away that we might trust him instead. God takes things from us because he loves us. God calls us to give things up that are good things that we might have faith in him. To put our faith in anything else but God is to put our faith in something that is not, is not capable and strong enough to sustain us. God wants us to trust him. And so God allows us to go through trials. He allows us to have our faith tested to make sure it's strong. Look what it says in 1 Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God, God tests our faith so that we know that he is more precious than gold and silver. So that we will know that he is more precious than any created thing that he is better than anything else he has ever made. God wants us, he calls us to believe that and to seek that. Look what it says in James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. There is this eschatological, this end time reality that, that is to play in our thinking and in our lives. That, that after, after life is done and we have stood the test, hey, we will receive the crown of life. And there will be a point of celebration, remembering what God has done. You know, in, in our country right now, there are, 
football players who are finishing their high school and college and some professional careers. And they will, they will not, again, lace up those shoes to go on that field. And for some, it's a sorrowful time. It's a time to remember. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what they'll remember. A decade from now, a few decades from now, those, those players, they're not going to sit around and talk about how easy it was. They're not going to glory in the water breaks that they had or the days off they had. You know what they're going to talk about? They're going to have their kids around them. They're going to say, in my day, we practiced 10 times a day in 500 degree weathers and we liked it. We loved it and we made it through. You know, you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember the most difficult games. They're going to remember when they were injured and they played through it. They're going to remember the trials. They're going to remember the tests. And they're going to remember how they persevered and endured. And those will be the moments of glory and praise. And so it is with us who believe in Jesus Christ. One day, we will be in glory with God forever. And we will remember the trials and the tests. And we will praise God for his faithfulness in those days. We will, we, will, we will glory in the fact that God was there and God had a plan and God provided. We will celebrate and bring praise to our God for the trial and the test that he put us through. That we were able to live through by faith. Understand, God brings trials. He brings tests, but he does not bring temptation. But temptation is coming. Temptation is here. But our hope... Our hope in our genuine faith is victorious over temptation. So how does this work? Write this down. Hope is victorious over temptation when the greatness of God is understood. And here's the tactical aspect of this. And here's where we're going to spend our time today. We resist the devil and draw near to God. The, The way we overcome temptation the way hope is victorious over temptation is when we see the greatness of God and then we take these very practical steps of resisting the devil and then drawing near to God look what it says in in Psalm 18 3 I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies notice this it's when we call upon the Lord we believe in the Lord And we realize that he is worthy to be praised. It is in that moment we are saved. Sooner or later, the the enemies will be overcome. But even before those enemies are overcome in our situation in time and space, we are already saved because once we know how great and awesome God is, we have hope. And when we have hope, hope is always victorious over every temptation, over every test and over every trial. When we see the greatness of God, we believe in his power. Creative things are seen what they really are. And here's what created things are. They, are. they are sometimes good, they are often bad, but they are never best. And when we see the greatness of God and we resist the devil and we pursue God, there's a blessing. Several years ago, a man came to me, a man who was blessed, had a wonderful wife and children, and he called and he sat down with me and he said, I'm in trouble. And I said, buddy, what's going on? He said, I haven't done anything, but I'm being tempted by a woman at my workplace who is tempting me to, to break my vows. And I don't know what to do. 
And so we began to talk, and I began to understand a little bit of the circumstance and the situation. And I said, you know, tell me about your office. He said, well, I'm not really at the office a lot, but when I'm there, that's, that's when it typically happens. I'm typically out on the road, and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. I want you to go home, and I want, to get, I want you to get pictures of your wife and your children, and I want you to plaster them all over your office. And I want you to put a picture of you and your wife on your odometer in your car. And I want you to every day see her and, and praise God for her. And then, and this was, this was years ago. Some of you don't even know what this is. But boys and girls, before there were smartphones and you had millions of pictures, we used to have these things. They were actually called pictures. And they were made out of some kind of paper type thing. And they would have images on them. And they were very, very sacred to us because we didn't just have millions of them back then. But we used to, I know this is crazy, we used to have to have these plastic things in our wallets and purses where we could slide the pictures in. How many of those remember using those plastic per- Yes. Remember those days, all right? So I tell this guy, I want you to fill up your wallet with pictures of your wife and of your children. And I want you to, at nauseum, tell people how much you love your wife and how crazy you are about your kids. The next Sunday, he shows up and he's got a big smile on his face. I said, how's it going? He says, it's great. She won't even barely talk to me. She won't even hardly look at me. I mean, she doesn't know what... no way she wants to hear about how much I love this bride of mine. And you know, all those pictures, it encourages my heart. And I'm so excited. And I've never loved her more. And I've never cared for my kids. You know what he did? He resisted the devil and he drew near to God. And that's how the victory is won. That, 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 that is the, that's the tactical means by which we overcome sin. And we see in our text today what it is we need to be resisting and how it is we need to draw near to God. So take note as we walk through this text. First of all, well, let me read this. Let me give you kind of, let me read this one first though. This is James 4, just to kind of give the biblical foundation for what I'm about to teach you. Submit your, yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So this is the foundation. This is the tactical means that, that God has for us. This is James 4, 7 through 8. Now let's look at how this happens in our text today. Write this down. Resist accusing others and draw near to God through prayer. Resist accusing others. And, and what I'm saying there is resist being like the devil. See, that's what the devil does. The devil accuses us before God. Look what it says in in Revelation chapter 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser. This is the devil. This is is in Greek, the the verbal form of of the name devil means accuser. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. There's going to come a day when the devil will be thrown in the pit of hell forever. But until that time, he's accusing us. Who accuses them day and night before our God. And I know you're like, wait a minute. You mean the devil comes before God? Yes, read the book of Job. The devil comes before God to accuse us for our sin. To tell God why we shouldn't be blessed, why we should be cursed, why it is that, that we really don't care about God and, 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 and all the things. And he gives God oftentimes uh, opportunities for tests and for trials that we, our faith might be proven genuine. But the devil's goal 
is for the judgment of God to destroy us the same way it will destroy him. Who accuses him day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by... Now notice how we, are, we overcome. How is it? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. It, it is by loving God and trusting in Christ that we overcome. And instead of accusing those the way the devil does who are struggling with sin, our text tells us we must pray for them. Look what it says in, uh, look what it says there in, in, in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Notice what, what we are to do. We are to ask God. We are to pray to those who, are, who have sin, who are dealing with sin. And we're to pray for those who sin that does not lead to death. Now, hopefully as we were reading this, your theological alarms were going off. Wait a minute. What sin is there that doesn't lead to death? How is Pastor Jason going to avoid telling us about this difficult text? Because I've read commentaries on this and not everybody agrees. Let me keep this real simple for you because you guys know I'm simple. Here's what you can understand. There is one there's one way in which sin, there's one sin, the only sin that, that does not lead to death. Let me tell you what it is. It is sin that has been repented of by a person who believes in the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the only sin that does not lead to death. So if you have sinned, but you have repented of that sin, that is you turn away and you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sin, that sin does not lead to death. That sin has already been paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. And so what we need to be doing with our brothers and sisters in Christ, rather than accusing them for the wrong that they've done, we need to show them grace with truth. With grace and truth, we must approach them. With grace, that doesn't mean we just say, oh, don't worry what you've done and what you've said. It doesn't matter because it does. What we do and what we say matters. So we have to tell the truth, but we can still give grace. And we can say, even though you're going to face consequences for your sin in this life, know that there is grace. And I love you and I forgive you and God loves you and God forgives you. And I'm going to pray for you. But for those who are lost, it makes no sense to pray that they would stop sinning. It makes no sense at all. It says, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. It makes no sense to pray for a lost person to stop sinning because they have a sin nature. And that sin nature will always lead them to sin. And the reality is, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. For those who have not repented and believed in Jesus Christ, their sin does lead to death. And we don't need to be praying that they will stop sinning. We need to pray that they will be saved. Because their sin leads to death. For those of us who are redeemed in Christ, we don't need to stand around accusing our brothers and sisters in Christ or accusing a lost world. We need to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to go to them with grace and truth and pray for them that they will overcome. For the lost of the world, we need to, instead of accusing them, we need to love them and go to them with grace and truth the same way Jesus Christ has come to us and lead them to anchor their life and hope in Jesus Christ so they can be saved. Let me tell you this. Show me a person who is encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ and praying for them and who is seeking to lead 
more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus and are praying for their salvation. And I'll show you someone who has a hope that is victorious over temptation. Show me a person who just wants to be critical of other believers and critical of the world. And I'll show you a person who cannot overcome temptation because they are so wrapped up in themselves. They do not have the power or the hope to do it. God calls us to resist accusing and instead draw near to God in prayer. Second thing, resist deception and draw near to God through gospel truth. It says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Listen, the world, our, our sin desires, and the devil tempt us to believe that God is not worthy of our devotion. Do not be deceived in believing that lie. The world, our flesh, and the devil want to tell us that a created thing will satisfy our deep longing. If we can have the right pleasure, if we can have the right drug, if we can have the right power, if we can have the right created thing, and we will be devoted to that thing or that person or that idea rather than God, then we will be satisfied. And that is a lie. The only means of satisfaction for our lives is Jesus Christ and his gospel. It is only in Jesus Christ that we can pursue and recover God's design. It is only through him that our lives can have meaning. No created thing can do that. No created thing can get beyond a few years, maybe a few decades, but nothing can save you eternally other than God himself. And no one can satisfy the longing of our soul other than God himself. And how has God revealed himself to us? Through the gospel. He has said to us, you, you are worth my blood. You are worth my love. That is what God has done. What does the evil one want us to do? He wants to deceive us. And there's one of two ways that the evil one is always seeking to deceive us. Make sure you understand this and, and really be able to identify where you are. Because you're, you're, you're being, I, we are being tempted in one of these ways right now. One way is to be deceived into thinking we really don't need God. See, what the evil one wants us to do is to say, you know what? We're really not that bad. We don't really need Jesus in the gospel. As a matter of fact, if the rest of the world would just be a little bit more like us, everything would be okay. And what the evil one wants us to do is to fall into arrogance and pride. He wants us to think, you know what? I don't really need church and I don't really need God and I don't really need prayer and I don't really, I'm because I'm already good. I just wish the rest of the world would get in step with yours truly because let's face it, I'm awesome, Right? And that's what the enemy wants us to do. The enemy wants us to fall into pride. Now, if we won't fall into pride, he wants us to fall into despair. He wants us to believe that our sin is so heinous and so, so wrong and so bad, God could never forgive us, really. That even though the blood of Jesus is powerful and potent, it's not enough to overcome what we've done that's wrong. And so what the enemy wants us to do is to either believe that we are too far gone from grace or that we don't really need grace to deceive us, to keep us from God. And I want to tell you right now, everybody in this room is being deceived or tempted to be deceived in one of those two ways. Here's what the gospel says. 
We are far more sinful than we could possibly know, and yet we are far more loved than we could ever imagine. And that though we have sinned, where sin abounds, what abounds all the more? Say it out loud. Grace abounds all the more. And that our hope is found in Jesus Christ alone. And so we've got to resist. We've got to resist deception and draw near to God through the gospel. And lastly, we've got to resist idol worship. Resist idol worship and draw near to God through faith. What is idol worship? It is putting first anything other than God. I love the, the way the whole letter, the whole book here of the Bible, I love the way this ends in 1 John. I mean, it just wraps it up. I mean, if I could just picture that early church getting to verse 21, and I know they didn't have microphones back then, but I could just see this happening. Guy with Mike, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Mic drop, peace out, right? I mean, that's it. That's it. You want to want to, you want to know what the entire book of 1 John is about? Verse 21. Keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from putting any created thing before God. God loves us. And God wants us to have the very best. That's why he gave us the first commandment. Think about this. Think about what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. First commandment of the Big Ten. You shall have no other gods before me. Is this God being on an ego trip? No. This is God being on a grace trip. God knows that there is nothing greater than himself. And so he is telling us, because he loves us, don't put anything in front of me. Put nothing in your life in front of me. Make me first. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's he saying? Keep your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep your hands on the truth. Be engaged in the work of God. It's just like driving. Keep your eyes on Jesus and your hands on the truth of God's word and stay focused. There are going to be good things along the, along the way. There's going to be good things like children and jobs and vacations and, 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 and junk that you throw away and, and are embarrassed that you wore it once. You know, all that. It's all, it's all, it's all, they're all, it's good. But it's not God. And there's going to be a lot of bad things. And we're going to be deceived in thinking that we can smoke it or drink it or take it or see it and that somehow that's going to satisfy the longing of our soul. And that's a lie. That's a lie. Christ alone. Christ alone. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Trust in him. Stay the course. Stay the path. And you will have hope. And it will be victorious over temptation. So I'm wondering, where are you today? What do you need? I can't help but know in a crowd this size that there are some who need to come and say, God, I have been deceived. I've been thinking I'm good enough that I don't need you or that I'm too bad and can't get to you. Some of you need today to come get on your knees and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you and you need to be saved. 
Some of you are children of God, but you're facing, you're facing a trial right now. You're in the midst of a test. Ask God to help you. Ask him to give you strength. Some of you are being tempted. Flee the devil and draw near to God. One of the best things you can do right now to draw near to God is to come and ask your daddy to intervene. My kids ask me to intervene because they're being threatened by something. I will kill it. I'm just saying this with the love of Jesus in my heart. I will kill it. I'm a sinful, sorry man. How much more will your heavenly father take care of you? You have a need this morning? Come ask your daddy. Come and tell him something's after you. Tell them what's coming after you. What sin is trying to entangle you. Come and tell them and ask him to protect you. He will unleash the power of heaven on your life. And you have a need today? Ask him. You say, well, it's not a big deal. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to your daddy. I'm going to tell you, there's nothing bigger than your daddy who is in heaven. So do you need a miracle today? Ask him. Ask him to do it. Ask him according to his will to do it. Come and get on your knees. And if you can't get on your knees, it's so funny. In the first service, these two ladies came and said, Pastor Jason, we can't get down on our knees. Can we still come forward? I said, you know, I don't think I can get down on my knees anymore. You can come and you can stand before God and ask for a miracle. Ask God to do it. Believe and ask him to do it. Stand, stand with me. Let's pray. Father, I ask that right now that you, would give, that you would give courage to some who need to come and stand here or get on their knees here and ask you to do what only you can do. And for some, they need to ask you to forgive them of their sin and as they repent of it. And they need you to take over their life. God, I'm so, I'm so thankful. When we wreck our lives, and we all do, you don't fix our old life. You give us a new one. And so there are some who today, they need to be born again. They need a new life. And so would you right now, as they come in faith to ask you to forgive them, give them a new life in Christ. And then for those who need your help to overcome temptation or to be successful through this trial or this test, give them what they need, God. And for those who ask for miracles, for the supernatural involvement of your hand in a situation, God, hear them and for your glory, answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and pray as we.